0: Well, let me tell you my one COVID story. I mean, we've all had to live through COVID, and it hasn't been the best for us, has it? And so uh, I'm turning 65 in June, and so my driver's license are going out. So I go to get my driver's license, and of course, the lady behind the counter, this is in Bolivar, Missouri, so the lady behind the counter looks at my driver's license, and she said, "Will you look at this and and tell me everything's correct. So I look at it, and my weight, I'm 15 pounds heavier since we've gotten done the COVID thing than I was before. And so you've been hearing about the COVID-19, well, I got the COVID-15. And so she said, is, it, uh, she said, is, all, is everything correct? And I said, well, everything but the weight. And she said, oh, and she said, what should it be? And I said, I'm 15 pounds heavier than what the weight says. And she leans over and she says, why don't we just put down 10 and hope for the best? And I fell out laughing. I thought, I wonder how many people struggle with putting their weight down on their new driver's license. And so it is a joy to be here with you this morning. There's a message I have for you. So if you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and open them to the book of James. James, the book of James. We're going to be talking today about the will of God. I don't know how you are in your Christian life, but of all the topics, of all the discipleship uh, research that you will do, and all the studies you do, um, when I when I was I prayed about actually prayed about speaking here before Micah asked me, and so I, I've learned as uh, we got two boys that are both in the ministry, both of them pastors, and so they don't let the old guy come and preach very often. And so I prayed about and said, Lord, you know I really want to preach, but I don't want to ask them because I know they got their program and they got their plans and stuff. And so I said, but I'd really like to preach. So this message was actually given pre, Micah asking me. So the next week he called and he said, hey. He said, uh, you know, I'm going to be gone. Do you mind letting me, do you mind coming and preaching? I'm th- I said, absolutely. I'll be glad to. So I was still praying about our other son who apparently wasn't listening to God because, you know, I mean, I hadn't been asked yet, you know. So, so anyway, later in the week, I get a call from him saying, hey, I, I, we're going to be doing a mission trip in Africa. Do you mind coming and preaching? I'm thinking, all right. That's exactly the way it needs to work. So I'll be here next month too. Uh, so anyway, but uh, the message for, that came to my mind for you guys was this emphasis on understanding the will of God. And so the title of it is Understanding and Discovering the Will of God. The reason for this title is that seems to be one of the most hard things for us as Christians, being able to decipher what is God's personal will for us. Now, we all know God's general will, winning people to Christ and baptizing them and growing the church and doing all of those kind of things, okay? So that's a no-brainer for us. We know that. We know we're supposed to present the gospel We know we're supposed to witness to people, even though we chicken out sometimes. We know all of those kind of things. But when we think about our own personal will, what is God doing for us? Now, at 65, I look at it a little different than I did at 19 when I got saved. And so when I started praying about God's will for my life at 19, it was all over the place, you know, because you're looking at a profession, you're looking at at spouse, you're looking at where you're going to work, where I'm going to college, on and on and on. And so it's a little different than it is at, at walking with God 40 years. So what I want to do this morning, if you'll let me, is to be able to walk you through some scripture and just give you some suggestions, okay, uh, that I think might help you along the way. I don't know who it is here, but I do know that this message is for you because I don't think uh, my prayers don't always work that quick like like I just described to you. So I know that somebody here or several of you maybe need something from this. So I just want to be a little encourager to you. So in James chapter 4, we're going to be looking at 13 through 17, so let me read it, and then I'm going to break those passages apart for you as we go through this morning, okay? So in James chapter 4, and verse 13, it says, "'Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city, and spend a year there, and engage in business, and make a profit. You, yet you do not know what being,' uh, I just jumped out, jumped over, I'm sorry. "'Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow.' You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. This is a powerful passage. And so this morning, let me start off by saying, I'm not really concerned whether you're right with God this morning or not right with God. I still think this message is, is for you because you could be backslid this morning and think, well, I'm, I'm mad at God. God hasn't come through and this has happened and that's happened. I understand all of that. And, but a lot of times what we think is, well, if I'm backslid, then God's not working in my life anyway and this doesn't mean anything to me anyway as we talk about the will of God. And let me just say to you, God has got your number. So as, he starts, as we start talking about this, if you're away from God, it doesn't matter Because God is still bringing events across your life that are trying to lead you back to first getting right with him, and secondly, being willing to follow him from this point forward, okay? So you might be sitting there thinking, well, I sure as heck don't want the will of God. I don't care what the will of God is. I'm just angry with God. God's a big boy. He can handle you. You think that? He can handle you. And so God's not intimidated because wherever you are in your life this morning. So this morning, as we get ready to do this, let's talk a little bit about the will of God. So first off, do you know the will of God? Are you following the will of God? And do you really want God's will for your life? One of the struggles I noticed in my my Christian life after these forty years is that there were times where I absolutely craved everything about the about the will of God. I wanted it so bad. And then there were times I got cold. Times I kind of slipped away from God. Now, you're still active in church. You're still praying. You're still doing all the Christian stuff we do. Does that make sense to anybody else? Uh, that makes sense? Okay, thank you. And so what happens is, is that, but we're not as passionate. We're not as engaged at that moment. And so a lot of times we're just kind of playing the, the you know, the, un, the unholy trinity, me, myself, and I. Anybody else understand that unholy trinity that we all get caught up in? And so what happens is we start missing out on really maybe God's perfect will because we're kind of consumed with us, who we are. And so it happens in those particular ways. Now many things can happen. I read an article recently I thought was interesting, it said, talking about students who are graduating from college and getting ready to choose a job. The author said there are 23, over 23,000 different types of jobs, and he said the odds are a student leaving college will probably not get the right job the first time. They won't get it the first time. But what they will do is figure out what they know is not right, and then eventually they'll get into this mainstream and get the right job. Now, let's take that principle for a moment and bring it to the will of God. Somebody brand new to Jesus, just got saved, trying to serve God. What's the possibility they are going to tap in every time to the perfect will of God? It's not going to happen. Because why? We've got us. We've got our flesh. So we vacillate back and forth. As we grow in Christ, we kind of get into the rhythm of what God is doing in our life and how he's leading us. Now this morning, as we look at some of these, it is very possible that you're right with God in His perfect will. And then it's very possible that you think, I didn't realize God had a will for me. And so you're the one I'm really wanting to talk to, okay? God has a will for your life. And let me jump ahead and tell you something that I think is so cool. I teach senior adults at my church, I'm not past- I haven't pastored since we, re- we uh, left Eureka in, in 2014. So they asked me to teach our senior adults at our church. I absolutely love it. We just finished 26 weeks going verse by verse through the book of Revelation. Now, can you imagine a bunch of old people on Zoom? That's what we were doing, studying the book of Revelation. Is that not exciting? And they wouldn't miss, man. They were asking. They're wanting to know the date Jesus is coming back. They're excited. Of course, you know, there is no date. He's just coming. So, But the point is is that the ability to be able to do something like that is just exciting to see people, no matter what your age is, that God's trying to do something in your life. And so God has a will. If you're here and breathing and can see me and you're sitting here, God has a will for your life. You might not know it, and that's okay. We're going to talk about that. Now, as we look at this, one of the things I think was interesting was many of you have heard this quote, and I wanted to give it to you this morning, from Livingston. And Livingston made a statement about the will of God that I think is powerful. He said, I'd rather be in the heart of Africa in the will of God than on the throne of England out of his will. And it is an attitude of the heart. So let me say it again. It is an attitude of the heart. So sometimes the reason we don't know God's will is not because God is playing hide and seek. There's a, big, there's a theological issue that's happening across many churches today, and some pastors have actually gone in this direction as if We can't find the will of God. Like he has a a needle in a haystack and you've got to go through that haystack to find his will. What kind of silly nonsense is that? If you're a parent, are you really trying to keep your will away from your kids? Of course not. You try to make it as plain. Now, I'm sure you've got great kids that always do what you want, correct? Of course not. (laughs) Of course not you have kids. They're kids, aren't they? So your kids didn't do everything right, did they? And so what happens is, but you made your will known to them, and you guided them, and they violated it, and you guided them and disciplined them, whatever. And they did again, and you did something else. I mean, that was was life in the family. Guess what? There's life in the family with God. And sometimes we are not going to be on target with everything with God. So God is not playing Uh, not playing hide-and-seek with His will. And the thing is, let me give you a couple of real quick things here that I think is a little bit of a violation. Not to criticize, but I do want to point it out just to kind of make it known. Right now in the Christian world, let me give a couple of theories that's out here that I think is absolutely wrong biblically. Number one, playing Bible roulette with the will of God. Bible roulette. Now, maybe you don't know what this is, but if you've ever been around the person who's praying about the will of God and they open the Bible and just kind of plop their finger down in the middle of that sucker... And they say, that's what God's told me to do. Look here. Here's the verse. Anybody else see a problem with this? Why in the world do you think God is holding all the will for you to play Bible roulette? You plop your finger down, Judas hanged himself, and then you plop it down again. and says, go ye and do likewise. You got trouble, Bubba. You got trouble. God's not playing Bible roulette. Second thing that I see with that is fleecers, the fleecers. There's people who always have to put a fleece out on God, for what God's going to do. Well, let me see if I should take that job. Let me put a fleece out. Let me see if I, should, if I should go to that school. Let me put a fleece out. Now, I'm not opposed to. So there are times I've seen people put it out. But you know what I'm talking about. That person who every decision. Should I go to bed tonight? Let me put a fleece out. Let, oh, what am I going to eat for lunch today? We're having a barbecue. Let me put a fleece out. That's silly. I don't pray for about what I'm eating for, for lunch. I'm not. I don't pray about what I ate for supper last night at the barbecue place. I don't pray about those kind of things because I think I can make the decision, okay? So I don't feel, I didn't, it's like, I feel like the Holy Spirit is telling me I should have barbecue tonight. Now, if if I'd known Micah was paying, I should have said, I feel the Holy Spirit wants steak tonight. You know what I'm saying? I didn't know Micah was taking me out. But my point is, is that I don't have to have a fleece for everything, because what is a fleece? Think about it. If you go back in the Old Testament and you see how people kept asking for signs Fleece, if we're always asking for a fleece, we have the Doubting Thomas theology mindset. Because anybody remember what Doubting Thomas said? Somebody shout it out to me. Thomas said what about Jesus' resurrection? Unless I see him, and what else? Touch it, I'm not going to do what? Yeah, let's follow that theory. Do you really want to be part of the Doubting Thomas school of theology? I've got to touch it. I've got to see it. I've got to feel it. God's got the Holy Spirit in us. He's going to use that to be able to to guide us. One of the things I thought was that uh, the last one that I think is not biblical is the people who have now converted all of God's will down to dreams, visions, and out of body experiences. They're on TV right now. And you have a lot of people who they have to have this big old dream, and fire has to come down, and I saw this, and I saw that. Oh, baloney. That's a bunch of silliness. I don't have to have a dream. How do you know they didn't have just have bad Mexican last night? I mean, come on. You know as well as I do. They don't, that's not biblical. Biblical is you have been saved. You have the Holy Spirit living within you, you have the Word of God. And God is going to take that Word and He's going to develop it from the inside out. And you're not going to hit it perfect every time because you're not perfect. None of us are. Adrian Rogers, great pastor. When I was a young pastor, I loved to hear him preach before the Lord took him home. He said, You have read many books like the Bible, but he said this, but the Bible reads you. That's powerful. The Bible reads you. That book that we read, God opens it up to be able to guide every one of us into his perfect will, even though his perfect will might be something totally different for every one of us. All right, that's my introduction. Let's get in the sermon, okay? All right, let's look at a couple of things. All right, number one, first thing I want us to look at is ignoring God. Some people are so consumed by their own uh, ideas that they just ignore God. I'm caught up with all my stuff. I'm caught up with my family. I'm caught up with all the things. I don't know what all you're trying to do with your family and and what all you do during the week, but it's a very busy lifestyle. I'm sure it is. And I don't think that's a problem as long as God keeps His proper proper place in our life. That's what the problem is. So as we look at ignoring God's will, let's look at James chapter 4. And I want to point out just the two verses, which is 13 and 14 for this one, uh, because sometimes this is what happens to us. And so this is a great passage. And he said, come now, you who are, who say today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. You do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Think about what the context of this is. James is saying that the people, think about what their focus was. Their focus was, it's really about me. I want to make more money. I want to be able to expand my business. It's about me. You don't see any spiritual stuff here. You just see somebody who's wanting to plan so that things can be better for them. Now, there is a tendency for us to want to do that. That's okay. But notice what James said. There's more to it than just us so James, in this passage, when he starts looking at this, look at the complexity he points out in verse 13. He said, when he said, come now who say today or tomorrow, guess what we don't have? You're here right now. But you know what? You're not guaranteed tomorrow. I'm not guaranteed tomorrow. I'll be 65 in June. I'm saved. I know I'm heaven bound. But I still don't want to be on the next load. Amen? Does that make sense to anybody else? I don't want to be on the next load. I want to be here for a while. But God could take us home, and we don't know what tomorrow's going to bring. And that's what James was saying. Since you don't know what tomorrow brings, you want to make sure that you are in the palm of God's hand at all times in everything you're doing. So in this passage, when he says this, he said, today or tomorrow you could go to such and such a city and spend a year there, engage in business, make a profit. He was saying, you're not guaranteed tomorrow. We all have friends who have died. We all have family who have died. And you know what? death is part of the life cycle. I don't like it either. I hate it more at 65 than I did at 30. Amen? Because you know what? We don't like the death cycle. And none of us know exactly what's going to happen except that I know I'm saved. I know that my family will know that I'm with Jesus, whatever that means. But as we look at this, and Proverbs even comes back to the same thing. Proverbs says, do not boast about tomorrow. You don't know what a day will bring forth. So when he says come now there in James, he's using the Greek word "nun," which means come now, meaning now presently listen. And that's the emphasis. Other words, don't talk about tomorrow, take care of it today. So if I've got a problem with Chris, I need to take care of it with Chris. When? Tomorrow? What do we not have? We don't have tomorrow. I need to take care of it now. Why? Because that's what the emphasis is. You're here You do it now. You preach the gospel now. Maybe you're not saved this morning. You know what? You think, well, I'll get saved sometime down the road. Been there, thought that. Guess what you don't have? You don't have tomorrow. You have today. The other piece that we see here, besides complexity here, is that he actually comes back to the the uncertainty of life. In verse 14, he said, yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You're just a vapor. So what will life bring? How do you handle the future? Some do all sorts of crazy things to try to figure out the future. There's no guarantees in the future. and we got economy issues, and then we just got crazy people running around shooting everybody, don't we? Let's just call it the way it is. What is going on here? People are wanting to hurt people. Sometimes some people are some of the meanest that I've ever seen at a time in life. And that's the reason why as a Christian, we need to be better and act different than everybody else. Why? Because you have ministry. You have the Holy Spirit inside to be able to minister with people. So the uncertainty. Third piece of this is the briefness of life. word vapor. That word vapor is an interesting word. It comes from the Greek word atomos. Atomos. You know what it means? Mist. Mist. Your life is a mist. So ever how old you are right now, if you think back, have those years started picking up the pace yet on you? Everything goes faster, doesn't it? It just seems to go faster the older you get. I love Christmas. My grandkids know I love it. Everything goes faster, but it still seems like it takes forever for me to get back to Christmas. I'm like a little kid when it comes to that. Remember when you were a little kid and you think, oh man, it took forever to get to Christmas and Christmas was over so quick and then we got to wait another year. Yeah, I'm still in that boat. I'm still there. I love the whole Christmas deal. So when you look at the briefness of life, life does not seem brief when you're young, but boy, as you start getting older, life starts speeding by. As you start seeing your kids leave and you've got grandkids or wherever you are, life starts picking up the pace. When he uses the word "vanishes" there in, in the Greek, it means, it comes from Alzeo, which means "consumes," to cause to disappear." He said, you are, your life is going to vanish. Where have you spent your life so far? Where is it gone? Because guess what, you're investing your life in something. You're investing it in something. So what are you doing with it? How and who are you investing it in? If we're investing in ourselves, then you know what? We're only going to be able to look toward ourselves. If we're investing in other people, then you're going to have an opportunity to influence many other people. Uh, one of the things that, that we try desperately to do is to invest more in our grandkids. And, of course, you've probably heard our grandkids talk about this if you've been here very long. We are awesome grandparents. Let me just let you know that. We do what's called Gramps Camp. And so in the summer, you maybe have heard this from Mike and, Sh- and Courtney as they're probably screaming because no kids are at their house now uh, for a week. We have all of the grandkids that are five years old and older come to our house for Graham's camp. Wanda plans this all year long. We take off work, we close everything down, and then we just hang out with grandkids. Now, you're thinking of Micah's three kids, but let me just tell you something. It's not just his three kids. We have 13 grandkids, and you have to be five years old or older to be part of Graham's camp. We're not doing the diaper thing, okay? We're not doing that, okay? So no diapers. So you've got to be five years old and potty trained. That's a rule. That's a guideline, okay? So we've got 10 kids that will be, that was there last year, got 10 this year that will be there. And so what, why are we doing that? Well, those of you who are older who have grandkids, you know exactly why. You're trying to put something into the life of those kids. You're trying to let them see you in a different light. And it has changed everything, and it has become one of the big highlights of everything we do. Why is that? Because life vanishes. And many of us have some great ideas and some great memories from grandparents of the past, don't we? And from how we were raised as kids. That's what you're wanting to put into those kids. That's what we're wanting to put into them. So it vanishes. And then the frailty of life in verse 16, he said, but as it is, as it is, you boast in your arrogance, all such boasting is evil. Now, James has really kind of laid it on the line with him. what do he say? First off, you're bragging about tomorrow, what you're going to build, how much money you're going to make. And then what do you say? That boasting is evil. Why? Because it's all about you. And not about ministry to anyone else. And so when he's focusing on that piece there, he uses the word boast. And in the Greek there, it means to boast with vainglory, with pridefulness. Someone who gives all these empty boasts out. And so what he's saying is that all you're talking about is you and your goals and your stuff. Where's God in all of this? Of course, James was really challenging them on that particular piece as well. And that's one of the things that's very interesting when you start thinking about the will of God. Now let's look at our second point. Let's look at disobeying God's will. So sometimes we know God's will, but you know what? We just get bullheaded and say, forget it, I'm not doing it. God can say it all he wants, I'm not doing it. But you know what? That doesn't shake God up at all. You will eventually get to where God's wanting you to be. I don't know what's happening in your life, but a lot of things can happen in our life that can make us very bitter, make us check out on God. And you know what? God's big enough to handle every bit of it. If he's big enough to save you and I, and he's big enough to be resurrected, and he's big enough to take us to heaven, let me tell you something. He can handle our attitude when we, when we blow it. You know what? I got mad uh, years ago. People hurt me. And I got mad and threw my Bible in the box, you know, threw my Bible in a box and said, forget it. So for five years, I didn't go to church. Five years. Southern Baptist pastor, 15 years, full-time Southern Baptist pastor, threw his Bible in a box and said, forget it because church members hurt my feelings five years you think that shook God up who who got hurt in this thing who got hurt yeah it didn't hurt God at all now let me tell you something God takes different events in your life and to get you back to where you get right with him and it did it took five, it was five years and then events started happening in my life and a lot of times you look at something and you say well that's a coincidence let me tell you something you think God has coincidences You think God hits his head and goes, wow, did not know that was coming? Where did that come from? God has no coincidences. You and I think it's a coincidence. God says, divine appointment, boom. Now you think, I didn't see anything about that, but God started it years before. An event here, a person here, you meet this person here, and then all of a sudden, boom, you think, wow, look what God has done. That was not a coincidence. It's a divine appointment. We rule some of these in that direction. So in verse 17, he says, therefore, to the one who knows the right thing to do, to do it and does not, ha- does not do it, to him it is sin. What's he talking about here? He's talking about the sin of pride, the definition of pride. The sin of pride is an excessive preoccupation with self and one's own importance, achievement, status, possessions. This sin is considered to be rebellion against God because it, as its attributes is one's self of the honor and the glory that only God is due. So we start honoring ourselves, we start magnifying ourselves, not God. That's pride. A lot of people have pride in our churches. Second part of that is ignorance. He said, if you, those who don't do, he said, to the one who knows the right thing, in the Greek, it's a Greek word, kalos, it means beautiful, good. The Greeks looked at this as anything which brings excellence. So, what is God saying? Listen, if you want to have excellence, then you've got to be able to do the right things. What's the right thing? What God is telling us to do that it can be supported by the word of God. A lot of times people get angry with God and they think that God didn't come through. God hadn't moved. God didn't go anywhere. It's you and I. We miss it. We didn't get the promotion we wanted. Been there. Didn't make the money we thought we deserved. Somebody made me mad. Welcome to the Baptist world, you know? I mean, church people can be the meanest and the sweetest people all in the same congregation. Amen? Hello? I'm not your pastor if you're visiting this morning. Pastor Micah is. So if you like my sermon, I'm his dad. If you don't, you can just tell somebody. Some old Baptist preacher preached this morning. I don't know who the guy was. So if you don't like it, don't don't tell anybody I'm his dad, okay? All right. Third thing, obeying the will of God. Look at verse 15. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. Now, this verse is so many times in our churches when we pray, we've all heard people say, God, if it's your will, we want this. If as long as it's done by the heart, that's fine. But there's a problem with that too. Sometimes people use this almost like it's some kind of, of magical terminology in prayer. God, if it's your will, then, huh. And God's looking at one thing. When he's talking about the will, he's looking at our heart. See, our heart, we can go through the motions, and our heart tells everything about it uh, I, as you do all of these different things. Uh, so, he said, so, first off, we have to know His will. In Acts chapter 22, verse 14, he said, And He said, The God of our fathers has appointed you to know His will and to see the righteous one and hear an utterance from His mouth. You think God is playing hide and seek with his will? The reason why most of the time we don't know the will of God, and maybe it's different in your life, but most of the time when I don't know God's will, it's because my heart is not in the right place to know God's will. And God's waiting for my heart to get in the right place, and then I'm gonna know his will. But that struggle that we feel, nine times out of 10, it's because I'm battling his will, not because I don't know it, and not because he's not willing to show it, but he's not doing what I want him to do. We sometimes look at God like a spiritual Santa Claus. And there's a whole, whole group of people today who want to do this. They can claim it and claim it and claim it and claim it and, claim it and God's just, all he's doing is a spiritual Santa Claus. That's f- silly. We are servants of the Most High God. He's not our spiritual Santa Claus. Dr. Chuck Swindoll said, the prerequisites in knowing God's will. Number one, you've got to be a Christian. Number two, you have to be seeking God's wisdom. Number three, you must really want to do the will of God. Number four, you must be willing to pray and wait. And number five, you must be willing to give up your comforts. God's will might not be comfortable for you. Here in America, we, are pretty, we have a pretty easy streak associated with the will of God. What about our missionaries all over the place? These, guys, these men and women are giving up the comforts like crazy. We've, God, I want you to use me, but, you know, I need to plant a church here and I want to reach people here, but, you know, we've got to be able to make sure that they they have good income. So I really want us to bring in people who are making 60 plus. And, you know, because that's, you know, I believe that's your will. Oh, baloney. You think God doesn't care about poor people? You think God doesn't care about, God could care less about our income. He wants us to have income to take care of stuff, but God's not so interested in our income. He wants you. He wants our heart. And he's wanting to change that. So not only do we need to know His will, but second, understand His will in Ephesians 5:17, So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. If He's hiding it all the time, why would Ephesians tell us to know what it is? Because, you know, if you're thinking, well, God's hiding it, God's hiding it, God's hiding it all the time. God wants to tell you and show you the roadmap for your life. But He's not going to show you the whole thing. That's what I've noticed. He shows you just a couple of steps. One of the most fascinating passages I read In in the gospels, remember when they talked about people walking down the old crooked roads in the gospel, they talked about lamps on their feet, your light, and Proverbs talks about it as your your lamp is a light into my feet. What most people don't know about that, you guys probably do, most people don't know that many of the people who walked on those old dusty crooked roads had lamps that were attached to their feet, and it was like a candle. And so it was wrapped around their foot, and it was sitting on top of their foot, and when they would take a step, they would be able to see another step or two. So when that passage says your 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 light, it's a lamp unto my f- your word is a lamp unto my feet. What they're referring to is those feet lamps. So if I'm standing here saying, well, I want to see all the way out here, God's saying, it's not going to work like that. Guess how I'm going to see to get there? I'm going to take a step, and guess what's getting ready to happen now? I can see another step. Guess what's going to happen then? Another step, and then another step. So so many times when we want to know it all, God's saying, hey, Bubba. Take two steps and I'll show you, guess what? Two more steps. But a lot of times that's, that's uncomfortable for us. And I understand that too. And so how does God lead? Through the Bible, through the Holy Spirit, through counsel with friends, through inner peace. The third part of that is proving his will. As a Christian, you are on a journey with God. And you're going to be on that journey until God takes you home. You say, well, I'm not on a journey. Oh, don't say that. He's going to take you home pretty quick. Because you're here Until your journey's over. And that means he'll take you home. So if you're still breathing, you're on that journey. And he's got something for you to do. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable reasonable service. And then what does he say? And be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind to prove what is the good and acceptable will of God. You are on a journey, friend, and so you're going to walk with God until he takes you home. And guess what? Then we're going to walk with God forever when he does that. So when he talks about proving his will, it's because we are on that journey. Do you have a God-size assignment? God points out what not to be conformed with. Are you willing to make a change in that life when he says, renew your mind, that passage in Romans? In the Greek, it means to renovate. I just saw your building a few weeks ago. Man, I'm so excited for you. The whole building thing is awesome. It's a blessing and a curse because it wears you out. You deal with all the issues. But there's going to come a Sunday, and I'm trying my best to make sure I'm in town. There's going to come a Sunday. You're going to have your first service in the renovated building. Isn't that awesome? It is an awesome, awesome experience. And then from that point on, you're in your building. But there's something about it being renovated. It feels new, doesn't it? It's exciting. Look where we are. But you know what? God's trying to renovate us. God's trying to make us new. God's trying to change us. And he's doing that in all these different ways. And so do we have a God-sized assignment? Are we willing to make that change that we're talking about? You see, we, we will be happier when we are in God's will, more happy than anything else. And the best way to know God's will for the rest of your life is to do his will right now. Henry Blackaby, many of you probably have taken his book, um, I just went blank. Uh, experiencing God, thank you. It takes everybody to preach my sermon. And uh, <laughs> Experiencing God... Henry Blackaby makes a statement in that book that I, that I read the first time. He said, find out what God is doing and get in on it. Find out what God is doing and get in on it. And I thought, man, nobody's using a Ouija board to find out what God's doing. Nobody's reading tea leaves. Fire didn't come down from heaven. It was pretty simple, wasn't it? Find out what God is doing and get in on it. And you start realizing, you know what? God wants us to know his will. And then doing his will in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 6, he said, not by my way of eye service as men pleasers, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. I started talking about the heart. I'm closing out talking about the heart. Our heart is everything. And our heart is deceptive sometimes. And our heart changes gears on us sometimes. And sometimes, you know what? Our heart thinks, well, I don't like what happened. You know what? God's trying to renovate us all the way up until the very end. Eye service here is very important because a lot of people are going through the service, just going through the motions, just going through Christian life. So when we talk about reading our Bible, everybody just kind of smiles. But, you know, are we reading our Bible? Are we praying? Are we dedicated to the things of God? Are we sharing our testimony with anybody? He uses the word slave here, but he didn't use a good, good word slave in this passage in Ephesians. Here's what he said. He can't, the word slave there is the lowest level of slave possible. They were the ones who did the most grungy stuff and what does Paul say to the Ephesians, but as slaves of Christ. So what it really comes down to is this idea of, do you want to do the will of God? Do you want the will of God in your life? And are you willing to to spend that time with God to find it out, to read his word? Is it a a coincidence or divine appointment? There's a lot of things that we call coincidences that are really divine appointments. I want to close with a story for you. Many years ago, Uh, Many, all of you have heard of Billy Graham, of course, and so you know Billy Graham's gone to be with the Lord, but many of you maybe don't know the story of Cliff Barrows, who was his music guy for all of these years. Cliff Barrows got married. If you've never, maybe you've read it, but I think it's a fascinating story. Coincidence or divine appointment? Cliff Barrows and his wife got married, took a train to a town, to a hotel that they had reserved for their honeymoon. When they arrive in the town, they find out that the hotel has actually closed up. Think about this for your honeymoon. How is this for starting that marriage off? Wouldn't you think, think, oh my gosh, what is going to happen now? So they find the hotel has been closed up. The person who picked, who picked them up at the, uh, at the train station, this is in, early in the 40s, said, I've got a friend who's got a location. At least we can get you some place to stay. So he takes this new, newlywed couple to this house, and they're staying in a room up over this store. And so they're staying in this room. And so the next morning, the lady who owns the store hears Cliff Barrows playing in his, this instrument upstairs doing gospel songs. And so the lady starts talking to this newlywed couple and finds out that they are Christians and that he's a music minister just starting out. And so she said, you know, we've got a young guy who's coming into town this week and I'm going to the revival tonight." And so he preaches mostly to young people, but she said, he's gonna be preaching and I wanna hear him, we've heard about him. And she said, his name is Billy Graham. He's just starting out. She said, would you like to go? And so him and his wife, Cliff Barrels and his wife said, yeah. So they show up at the revival like any of us have been and they're sitting there. And so as they're getting ready to start the service, the, the music director that was supposed to lead the music for the revival is not there. And so they wait and they start asking people, did anybody be willing to to do the music? And they can't find anybody. And so the lady who owns the house walks up to the man and says, there's a young man here who is a music director. He's just starting out. He's a great guy, he seems like. And she said, I talked to him about it this morning, about about the ministry. And so they walked over to Cliff Barrows this night and asked him, would he lead the music at this revival? And Billy Graham never had anybody else do it all those years. Coincidence? Not a coincidence, what was it? Divine appointment. If we can get to a point where we start looking at some of the coincidences in our life and realize, you know what? This is probably a divine appointment. We would be more excited about the future for God, amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you Lord so much that you show us your will. Help those Lord who are struggling to answer the call for, the, for your will. First, for salvation, and secondly, Lord, to be able to walk with you. Lord, help us look at these occurrences, these, these things that happen in our life, Lord, that we just think is a coincidence, and help us look at it to see, is this a divine appointment that God is actually making happen in my life to change me, to send me in a new direction? Father, I thank you, Lord, for the sweetness of these people. I thank you, Lord, for the growth that we see here at this church. I thank you, Lord, for Micah and how you continue to use him here. And, Father, I just pray, Lord, that you'll just continue to bless this church in reaching people. In Christ's name we pray.